Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by www.livinglies.wordpress.com, GTC Honored, and The Garfield Firm, serving all 50 states with news and analysis of the latest bank scams against borrowers, homeowners, consumers, and investors, and providing legal representation throughout Florida. This program is for general information only. It is not a solicitation for services or legal representation and should never be used as a substitute for advice from a licensed professional. And now, here's world-renowned financial expert, attorney, and blogger, Neil Garfield. And hello, this is Neil Garfield, and this is Thursday, June 18th, 2015. And tonight is all about the devil in the details for rescission of consumer loans. When I first wrote about this in 2007 and 2008, I never dreamed that I'd still be talking about it eight years later. And for those of you in the L.A. area, I highlighted Patricia Rodriguez two weeks ago, a young, energetic, highly organized, aggressive attorney who really gets it, especially about rescission, and she and I have been talking about it. I am broadcasting live from Broward County, Florida, brought to you by the Living Lies Block, GTC Honors, Angar, and the Garfield Firm with offices in South Florida. And this show is specially brought to you because of donations to the Living Lies blog from listeners like you. Thank you. And for those of you who are not yet contributors, we ask that you call 954-495-9867 and pledge whatever you think you can afford. On the West Coast, you can dial 520-405-1688. Living Lies, a blog with over 10.5 million visits, is the number one place on the Internet to get information, forms, facts, and opinions from a variety of sources on foreclosures, foreclosure defense, consumer loans, and even student loans, which are a form of consumer loans. Our mission for eight years, has been to share as much information as we can to help beleaguered homeowners and other people who may not even be aware of the effect the housing crisis has had on their lives. And I'm pleased to report that I think we are accomplishing our mission and have been for many years. There was resistance at the beginning, but especially with the latest decision from the Supreme Court, which I'll talk about in a few moments, it appears that everything that I was saying in 2007 and 2008 is basically correct. As more and more judges are seeing that the facts are not as they appear on the paperwork that's being used by banks, trustees, and services to foreclose, more and more borrowers are winning their cases or they're settling it on highly advantageous terms and then signing a confidentiality agreement which prohibits them from uh, disclosing it or publishing it. And for the judges that don't get it, 
the U- U.S. Supreme Court explained it to them. The court, the trial judge, may not interpret a statute that is clear on its face. So all those decisions, decisions on rescission, that said you have to file a lawsuit to get rescission. You have to prove a case to get rescission. You have to tender money or property to get rescission. Hundreds of thousands of cases, maybe millions, were all decided wrong, and the U.S. Supreme Court said so. What is clear is that the courts have been trying to rewrite the laws in order to benefit the banks. And what is equally clear now is that those efforts are being turned on their head by cooler heads, by smarter people, and by people who understand the importance of the rule of law, starting with the highest law, which is the Constitution of the United States. The U.S. Supreme Court does not have to be right in order to be final. This argument is over. There is no point in discussing it or arguing about it. They have spoken, and their decision is final. The U.S. Supreme Court has said that a trial judge and lower appellate courts may not interpret teal of rescission because it is clear on its face. By interpret, that's kind of a code word for changing what the statute says. They can't do that. And that's not just a little rule. It's a big rule. If it were otherwise, think about it. If it were otherwise, it wouldn't make any difference what the legislature passed as a law. The courts would be the final place where laws were passed. Because if a judge didn't like the way uh, the legislature decided a, a particular issue, a public policy, he would just change it. But judges don't have that right. A judge sitting on the bench, he or she does not have the right to rewrite a law. They do have a right to interpret a law once they find that there is an ambiguity in the law. If they find that the statute is not clear on its face, then they have to make a specific finding of how it is not clear and then resolve the issue. That's not what the courts have been doing. They've simply been saying, nah, the Teela statute doesn't mean what it says. It means common law rescission. And Justice Scalia made it very clear that that was very wrong and has left millions of cases in limbo as a result of the wrong-headed actions by judges, lawyers, and borrowers who accepted the notion that they didn't have the power to cancel a loan the same way a judge would. But they do have that power under the Truth in Lending Act. And with the stroke of their pen, they can cancel the loan. And with canceling the loan, the note and mortgage become void as of the time that the cancellation or rescission is dropped in the mail. 
So if a court were allowed to reinterpret that the way the courts have been doing for eight, ten years, that would be a violation of a fundamental principle in the Constitution of separation between the judicial branch and the legislative branch. Congress violate that. Congress makes the laws. The judge, just like the executive branch, for a clear mandate stated in the statute, has no choice but to read it and do it, whether he likes the result or not, or she. I don't mean to sound sexist here, but sometimes we tend to say he instead of he or she. So the Constitution is the Supreme Court supreme law of the land there's nothing higher and everything else is as a law is lower in status than the constitution it's like a pyramid at the very top is the constitution anything that is passed by any other legislative body including congress if it violates the constitution it's not law anymore because eventually the courts are going to declare it unconstitutional or the Supreme Court. The same is true with the U.S. Supreme Court. There is nothing higher. Every other court of every type and of every power in every jurisdiction is lower in status than the U.S. Supreme Court. None of those courts can overrule or reverse the U.S. Supreme Court. And yet I still hear stories, even after Jesenowski was decided in January, of judges doing exactly that. I wonder what Justice Scalia is going to say about them. That's what makes the U.S. Supreme Court so important. When they have spoken, it is the law of the land. Why have I given you this little seminar in civics or social studies? because it's key to understanding what people are having so much trouble getting their heads around is the power of the borrower to cancel a deal with the stroke of their own pen. Borrower has to say, is I hereby cancel or rescind the above reference loan? That's it. They don't have to say anything else. Less is more. The more reasons they give, the more things they say, the more they're diluting the fact that there's an unequivocal statement by them that the deal's over. And what the truth in lending statute says is that the deal is over. The note is void. The mortgage is void. The moment that the rescission or cancellation is dropped in the mailbox. And it has the same effect, the words by operation of law, effective by operation of law, means it has the same effect as a court order. And it will take a court order to vacate that decision. There's no letter from the bank or servicer or trustee or anybody that can undo rescission once it is sent. I don't even think the borrower 
can undo the rescission. Once he drops that in the mail, he basically has subjected himself and the alleged creditor to all the terms, conditions, and duties expressed in the Truth in Lending Act as regards TILA rescission. In Jastanowski, the U.S. Supreme Court made it clear first that the TILA statute is clear on its face, which means that no judge has the right to interpret it or shade it the way he or she wishes it was written. Whether the judge likes it or not, his or her duty is to follow the law as it is written. Second, the Supreme Court said rescission is clear. It is effective by operation of law when the notice of rescission is dropped in the mail. That part of it is very hard for people to believe. I'm finding out in interviews with lawyers, judges, and just ordinary people. They just can't believe that an ordinary layman could have the same power as a judge. But they do under the statute. And that's the point that needs to be absorbed by everyone because a lot of things, both substantively and procedurally, which is very important in terms of how to deal with rescission after it's been sent, a lot of things substantively and procedurally are set in motion by the fact that the rescission is effective and final as of the day it is mailed unless there is a court order by a court of competent jurisdiction, which means that the case filed by the creditor within 20 days of the date of the rescission being mailed. So, it's hard for people to believe. They don't think that, it seems that that what I'm hearing the most is that it's hard for them to believe that uh, anything other than what happens in court is effective by operation of law. And not so. There are plenty of examples of where things happen outside the courtroom that are considered absolute law, and that's the way things are. One of them, for those of you especially out west, but there's still many states in the east, that have a non-judicial statutory scheme where foreclosure can be done without going to a judge. You don't have to go to a judge to make it work. All you have to do is send a letter. All you have to do is send a notice. Notice of default. Notice of substitution of trustee usually precedes that. Most of those substitutions of trustee are probably void, but that's another story. And notice of sale. That's it. All happens outside the courtroom. Rescission happens outside the courtroom. Now, like anything else, including non-judicial foreclosure, that can be changed if somebody goes to court and gets a court order, either temporarily or permanently, 
restraining the action of the rescission and eventually vacating. But that can only be done if that lawsuit is brought within the 20 days. And there are those who argue, and I think they might be right, but I haven't decided yet, that they, the creditor actually has to get the order from the judge, a final order from the judge, within 20 days. And that doesn't make sense to a lot of people procedurally because frequently the answer is not due until after the 20 days has expired. So it's hard to imagine how that would be done, but it may require the courts to adopt different rules for Teeler rescission, allowing for an expedited calendar or whatever. But the fact is, I haven't found a single case where a bank ever sued to vacate the rescission. There are a lot of reasons for that, and that's why people, you know, get advice from people like me and others. Um, I do a rescission package for other lawyers and uh, uh, for uh, uh, pro se litigants if they're representative. Uh, to some extent, to getting advice. Uh, And in that package, we lay out all of the various things that uh, are the devil in the details. So the remedy of TILA rescission is drastic. And there are rules and the creditor must comply with the statute within 20 days from the time the rescission is, is dropped in the mail, and that means three things. To be in compliance means that they have sent back the canceled note, they have filed the satisfaction or release of the encumbrance against the property, and they have returned all money that was ever paid, all compensation, all principal and interest, that was ever paid on the loan, they have paid it to the borrower. It's only after they've done the three things, return of the canceled note, satisfaction of the mortgage, return of the money, it's only then that they can ask for money. But if they ignore it for more than a year, they can't ask for money anymore. At the end of a year, two things happen. The borrower loses his right to enforce the rescission and the so-called lender or creditor loses their right to collect on the debt. Now, there are those who are reading fast and assume, well, if the borrower loses their right to enforce the rescission, then the borrower is screwed, right? No. The borrower then will have either already filed their rescission in the county records or will have filed a quiet title action or both, and they will have their property free and clear. They will have that because, go back to the beginning, the note and mortgage were void the moment the rescission was put in the mail by operation of law. That's not just my opinion. That's the opinion of the U.S. Supreme Court. That's what they said. So 
if you send a rescission, if you did it in the past, you do it now, whatever, you start that 20-day clock running. And at the same time, you have canceled the loan deal and you've canceled the note and the mortgage. Some people are continuing to make payments in fear of what the bank might do in terms of a neg negative credit report. That's going to lead to some interesting results unto itself. But if the note and mortgage became void the day the rescission was dropped in the mail, then they have always been void ever since then. So at the end of that one-year period, it's true you can't get the canceled note back. You can't get them to file satisfaction of mortgage. You could file your own action to quiet title. And you can't collect money from them. But they can't collect money from you either. That's how the statute works. It's crystal clear. No lawsuit should be necessary in order to make the loan canceled, in order to make the note void, in order to make the mortgage void. That's what Justice Scalia said. That's not me talking. That's merely me repeating what he said. And he was speaking for a unanimous Supreme Court. And those of you who are Supreme Court watchers know that there's very few decisions that come out of this particular Supreme Court that are unanimous. All the justices on the Supreme Court agreed with that. So what's the scam that they're geared for? Well, I can answer that. There, I've been getting reports of a number of people who have gotten the canceled note and a satisfaction of mortgage filed and a demand from the creditor that they now be paid. And that causes the borrower to have a connection because they think, oh, my God, I owe all this money. No, they don't, just because some bank has said you owe me money doesn't mean you owe them money. In order for them to make the demand, they would have to have given the borrower, paid to the borrower, all of the money that the borrower ever paid, all of the money and fees that were charged, all of the compensation that was earned to the borrower. Now, Congress did this to keep the banks honest. Obviously, it didn't work. We all know the banks were not kept honest. But the point here is that this little dance that they're trying to do in, in intimidation of borrowers to get them away from rescission should not work unless they fulfill all three of the duties they're not entitled to take the next step. And guess what? None of these people have any money in the game and they're not about to start. So I don't think you're going to see many cases in which a creditor actually sends back the canceled note 
files a satisfaction of mortgage and hands a $150,000 check to the borrower and then says, okay, now please give me the $300,000 loan that I gave you. You're not going to see that because in order for them to make that claim, they in order to do it in court, they would have to establish standing. And in order to establish standing, they would have to do it without the note and mortgage. They would have to do it without the note. They would have to do it without the mortgage. Why? Because those are void instruments by operation of law. I keep repeating that phrase, by operation of law, so that you get it. Those instruments were void the moment the rescission was dropped in the mail. So anybody who's seeking any kind of quantum merit, unjust enrichment, or any claim against the borrower, they've got to do it by virtue of those kinds of claims or some other kind of claim. They can't use the note or mortgage to say, I'm a holder, because they're a holder of a void instrument. And you can't get relief from any court in the nation on an instrument that is already void. Obviously, if the rescission is vacated by a court order within the 20 days, clearly they have a right to continue with the note and mortgage and failure to pay gives rise to a probable notice of default, and that will lead to conventional foreclosure litigation with foreclosure defense, which we've been talking about on this program and on the blog for quite some time. All those defenses are still available and will continue to be available, including the very important fact that um, the, the loans have not, in any case that I have determined, ever made it into a remix trust. Now, there may be exceptions out there, but if there are, there are very few of them. If the loan never made it into the remix trust, then anybody claiming a right to service the loan by virtue of the remix trust document doesn't have a right to service the loan because the Remit Trust never bought it and never got to own it. No money was ever exchanged. And they never did it within the time period, the 90-day time period, which is a strict time period, which is the only time period that a Remit Trust can operate as a business is 90 days. And those that time has long since passed in almost all cases. So I guess I have run the clock here. I wanted to get to some questions, but I wanted to get to the point where I know I'm drilling in on points that I have made in the past, but it's quite clear to me that people are having trouble absorbing the enormity of what it means to rescind or cancel a loan. You can do it. And all the people who say you can't either have an agenda or they do not have command of the essential facts. Some might 
phrase it differently, but I'm trying to be as nice as I can. So in our rescission package, we basically give you um, as many of the strategies and events and counter events that might happen after you send the rescission in and have the lawyer be fully prepared for whatever the creditors, servicer, or banks do. Thank you, and I will talk at you again next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to our broadcast. We hope that you tell your friends about us and let them know that there is hope and help in this financial crisis. Tune in every week to The Neil Garfield Show for free information and advice and visit our blog daily at The Living Lines Blog. We provide support services, the latest strategies, analysis, expert consultations, testimony, and declarations to use in your battle against the largest economic crime in human history. For information concerning Neil, the team at Living Lies, or the law firm, go to www.livinglies.wordpress.com or call 520-405-1688. The opinions expressed on this broadcast are those of the host and should not be attributed to any other person or entity. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.